see you all this morning. If you'll keep your Bibles open with me to Romans 14. Well, as humans created by God, something deep within us longs for peace. I remember as a child in early primary school, I made a treaty with my sister at the start of school holidays that we wouldn't fight for the duration of the two weeks. At the end of World War I, the nations got together and they said, never again, let there be peace on earth. Well, we all know how that went. I think my sister and I managed to not fight for about two days. That was the record. We longed for peace, and yet true, lasting, meaningful peace is slippery. Every time we reach out to grab it, it's as though it slips away from us. Take the internet, for example. When the internet was first made, there was great hope that this would finally be something that was able to break down barriers and promote peace and global communication like nothing else. And it does, in a way, seem to have some of that potential, doesn't it? Uh, yet here we are in 2023 where we have social media sites that purposely, knowingly divide us to generate ad revenue. We have porn sites that uh, expose and, and take advantage of some of the most vulnerable people we have influencers and, and news websites that make us question not only our view of the world, but also our view of ourselves. The potential for peace corrupted by greed and selfishness. And we see the same things play out again and again globally in our society and even in our own relationships. Well, last week, David Cook showed us in the first half of the chapter that that's not the way things are meant to be for God's family, for his people. We are united as those who have been justified by faith in Christ. We're a part of God's family. And so even though there's lots of disputable things that we will disagree about, we are united by the indisputable, by the fact that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, how is it any different from anything else we've seen throughout history? We're united by a common cause, by a common king. So what's to stop our peace from being corrupted by greed and by selfishness? Even if we just look back throughout the history of the church or our own experiences of church, I'm sure we've seen plenty of examples of just this happening. So how do we get peace that's how do we maintain our unity in the indisputable when there's so many things which can and which does divide us? Well, if selfishness and greed corrupt peace, the road to lasting peace starts with self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is our first point. Read with me in verse 13. But it says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Well, after summarizing the last passage with his final call to stop judging others, Paul then tells us what we're to do instead. We're not to judge, but instead we're to make up our minds to not be a stumbling block or an obstacle. This care for others begins with a decision in our minds. 
I wonder if sometimes we just think that one day we'll wake up and we'll suddenly just be better at loving everyone. But Paul tells us here we've actually got to decide. This is an active choice to look past ourselves and to the needs and interests of other people. That's not our default though, is it? Especially when it comes to arguments. I did debating in high school and I took great pleasure in proving that I was right or trying to prove that I was right to everyone. Well, one solution to lasting peace is to decide that everyone just needs to agree with me. I mean, wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone just decided to do that? I'm sure Putin agrees with that. But unsurprisingly, that's not where Paul takes us. You'll remember from last week, the church was arguing about food. Now, some were saying that all food is good to eat. Others were saying that we should hold off from eating meat. Well, Paul in verse 14 tells us what he thinks. He says, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. And again, down in verse 20, all food is clean. Well, if you're on the eat anything camp, this, is my, this might be where you'd stop and go, yeah, we were right, woo! Get the meat out of the esky that you've been holding there for this moment and just start cracking into it. But again, that's, that's not where Paul's going, is it? There's a but here. He says, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. And then further on, down in verse 20, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine. The solution to lasting peace isn't for everyone to agree with you. I mean, the eat anything camp are right, but the fact that they're right doesn't mean that everyone else should eat meat, and in fact, it doesn't even mean that they should do it. On these disputable matters, for Paul, what's right or what's wrong is irrelevant. What matters is are you loving others with the way that you're acting? Are you distressing them by eating? Are you causing them to stumble? Paul actually goes even further at the end of verse 21. Don't do anything that'll cause your brother or sister to fall. Now I'm gonna be contentious for a moment and talk about mask wearing during COVID. You might have thought that a mask did absolutely nothing. You had all of the studies that proved that you were right and you believed that there was no need to wear one and they were annoying. Others disagreed, obviously. Now, this is a question you need to ask yourself if you refuse to wear a mask. By refusing to do so, did you cause your brother or sister distress? Were you loving them? Or were you acting for yourself? Are you willing to give up your freedom for the sake of others? And most of all, Paul calls us to this kind of sacrifice so that others don't sin. But Paul, you might reply, I'm a bit confused. If it's okay to eat anything, how can I cause others to sin by eating meat? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at verse 20. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Or just because something is right doesn't actually mean it's right for everyone. Just because you're free to do something doesn't mean that's true for everyone else. 
And when you don't show up to an AA meeting with beers for everyone. As Paul says, all the way back in verse 5, if you're going to do something, you need to be fully convinced. On the flip side, if you believe you shouldn't do something, but do it anyway, you're acting against your conscience. We've already seen that. So for instance, you might think it's okay to drink, but if you peer pressure your friend who, who's not sure or who doesn't think it's right into drinking, then you've caused them to sin. That's not loving. That's not self-sacrifice. In fact, Paul says in verse 15 and in verse 20 that when we cause others to sin, we're destroying them. Verse 15, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And again, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And this almost seems wrong when we first read it and listen to it, don't we? We've been soaking in the language of God's grace to us, how we've been freed from the law, made alive in Christ. So how can Paul speak about sin as destruction, especially considering that Paul is talking to Christians? Well, in Christ, we are alive. Paul has told us that again and again and again in Romans. We've died to sin. We've been made alive in Christ. That is and always will be true of us as Christians. But every time we sin, we deny that reality. And it's like we temporarily go back to our life of death. In that way, sin is like a mini destruction event. Not because our sin condemns us, but because we're failing to live like we're alive, the life that Christ himself sacrificed for us. Paul calls the Romans, and Paul calls us to be willing to give up our freedom, to put aside our opinions so that we don't cause others to sin, and so that we don't sin ourselves. When we insist on our own opinion, on our freedom in these disputable matters, no matter the cost, it spirals into sin, which destroys what Paul says and that's what I think we see in history as well to find lasting peace that sticks the only way is a radical form of self-sacrifice where each of us decides to put people above personal preferences and family over freedom so what does this look like well for a start remember it's a decision we need to make beforehand I remember one AGM of a church that I was at as a a kid uh, where things got so heated that all of us kids had to leave the discussion because we got scared of it. If every discussion on a difference of opinion starts with the attitude of I'm right and I'm going to show everyone else that I'm right, how much easier is it to get frustrated, get angry, impatient and defensive? Another time at work, I got, called, I got called into a meeting of pastor blame parcels where the area that I was responsible for was blamed with, um, blamed with something because it was convenient. I left the meeting absolutely furious. I knew I was right, but in that moment, I made being right more important than the fact that I was actually sinning in my anger. So I ask you today, how might the way that you treat your spouse, your children, your friends, your work colleagues, how might that look different if you decided before any argument or discussion that instead of being right, what was more important was the fact that you're not going to cause the other person to sin? What might that look like? Well, another thing 
uh, this kind of radical self-sacrifice requires is stepping back and getting perspective on just how important the issue is. This requires humility and self-control. At a prior church, I had ideas about how music should run. I still think they were good ideas, but they weren't well received by a couple of people. And honestly, I got annoyed. I complained to more people than I should have, more often than I should have. And in the process, I made music more important than people. But what is it for you? Maybe you feel strongly that a certain political party is awful or that the church service needs to be run a certain way. Maybe you disagree with some of the preaching. What's more important? Someone Christ died for, God's own work, or your opinion? Maybe that's why Paul encourages us in verse 22 to keep these things between ourselves and God. Now, Paul's not advocating for us to be trampled over or taken advantage of or to never have an opinion. Instead, he's telling us here to have the humility and the awareness to say, hang on, this is a disputable matter. Maybe it's not worth bringing up. Maybe this discussion will do more damage than good. He's telling us to pick your moment. There is a time and a place for a healthy, God-honoring discussion about predestination, but someone's funeral probably isn't it. How do we get peace that sticks? How do we as God's people stay united? Well, it takes a radical form of self-sacrifice. In a sense, though, every kind of push for peace calls for some sort of self-sacrifice for the greater good. I mean, there's laws, there's things that we're not allowed to do for the sake of others and for ourselves. But as we saw with um, COVID, the more radical and the longer the restrictions are on us, the harder it is to maintain our unity and our peace. So how can we ever hope to keep up this radical form of self-sacrifice that lasting peace requires? How do we maintain? The only way we'll be able to continue to sacrifice day in and day out to obtain lasting peace is to stay united as God's people in the midst of our diversity is to be changed and shaped by the values of God's kingdom. We see that the last shall be first. Read with me verse 17, which says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. On the middle of this section, Paul takes a break from his commands of do this and don't do this, and instead he gives us the values that are to shape our sacrifice. God's kingdom isn't about what we eat and drink. It's not about being right. It's not about doing whatever we want. The kingdom of God is about these three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's quickly look at each of these three. Righteousness has been the big theme of Romans. And right at the heart of this righteousness is what Christ has done on our behalf. Paul's calling us here to radical self-sacrifice, but he only does that knowing that Christ has led the way for us. Christ became nothing for us. He sacrificed his life for us. And by faith in him, Jesus' righteousness is counted to us. And so now we've been raised to life in Christ, this new life that we've been given. And Christ's sacrifice is the example of what our new life is to look like. It's the model for the kingdom of God. 
What does it look like to live this lifeless life? Well, it's a, a life of self-sacrificial love. Romans 8 verse 6 says that the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. This flows on from the righteousness that we have in Christ. We belong to Christ now. He is what unites us. Christ is the prince of peace and his kingdom is the kingdom of peace. And this family that values righteousness and peace will be marked by joy. We read earlier in Isaiah 61, a picture of the kingdom of God, which we experience partly now, and which we're going to experience in full when Jesus comes back again. Here we see a kingdom which is marked by all three of these things, righteousness, joy, and peace, where there's no war, no fighting, where there's rejoicing and laughter, and where there's peace. How good does that sound? That's what we long for, isn't it? Earlier we talked about getting perspective. What better perspective do we want in life than this? That's what the kingdom of God is going to look like. That's what it can look like now. How? Well, these three things are in the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living in each one of us. And he shapes us and changes us to align us with these kingdom values. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. The path to lasting peace, to a life of self-sacrifice, is made possible by the Holy Spirit who lives in each of us. Paul then goes on in verse 18 of our passage today to say, Anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. The life of self-sacrifice that models these three things, righteousness, peace, and joy, is really, really good. Now, that sort of sounds like it should be a contradiction, doesn't it? Self-sacrifice and a good life, for me, how do those two things work together? But again, that's not how the kingdom works. This is what Jesus showed us when he came down to this earth. Jesus is the perfect human being. And he shows us that what's good for us and what's good for others aren't these two contradictory ideas. Because we can sacrifice and love. We can seek peace. And we can be filled with joy in and through the Holy Spirit. And this is both pleasing to God, as Christ's life was, and it's pleasing to others as well. Who wouldn't want to be around someone who's filled with love, joy, and peace? And so Paul then commends us in verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Pleasing to God pleasing to others, so by God's grace, let's seek to do it. Let's follow in the footsteps of our Saviour. Instead of tearing others down and causing them to sin, let's build them up in love. Let's strive for what leads to peace. I've been really encouraged uh, by the many different examples I've seen here at TBC of issues that could have become conflict, but instead have been handled with peace and joy. When I think back to the two and a half years that I've been here, As a church family, we've been through COVID restrictions, a change in pastors and vision, different sermon series on some hard topics, starting a building project. There's hosts of other changes that have been going on. And through it all, I think there has been a really marked sense and character of righteousness, peace, and joy, of unity that I think God and his grace has given to us so far as a church. Praise God for that. 
But what does it look like to do that going forward into the future? It's not enough to do it now. We're going to continue to be challenged and tested in these areas. Or perhaps it's helpful to think for a moment about what it might look like in our lives when we're not being shaped by these kingdom values. One area that I think that that looks like is a lack of contentment in our life, a restlessness. We want to leave whenever we can, when we run up against conflict or disagreement. So we go, go somewhere else. We find a different job, a different friends, a different church, a different spouse. You know, we'll finally find someone who just accepts me for who I am, who loves me, and, you know, where there's no real sacrifice required on my behalf. I'm able to just live my life. There's nothing wrong with seeking out like-minded people, but we need to realize that the first reason we keep running into conflict isn't because of who in ours. It's because of the sin that lies in our heart as well, in our selfishness, in our greediness. Well, another possible way it can look like is to just don the rubber gloves and to keep everyone at a safe but sterile distance, settling for ankle-deep relationships. You've been burnt in the past, and you're just tired of being hurt. I mean, of all places, the church is meant to be a safe place in that regard, but so often it isn't. Well, if that's been your experience, I'm sorry. The good news, though, is that that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. See, God's kingdom is a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. And while the church that we see here on earth, even DPC, is imperfect, God, by the Holy Spirit, living in us, can and does change us and shape us to more and more reflect these values. And my prayer is that that will be true of DPC. And maybe some of that change and transformation can take place through you. As you commit to sacrificially overcoming your fears and anxieties and digging past the surface in our relationships, not being scared by the differences that we have, but instead as a community, committing together to love one another sacrificially. Not seeing our differences as a threat, but instead seeing them as a gift from God to cherish. Well, I wonder if this is a timely reminder for us as a church, even as we um, plan and prepare to upgrade the building facilities here. Uh, There's money, there's going to be lots of decisions to make, Lots of things that we could argue about. Not everyone's going to agree, and that's okay. But will we choose to focus on what what matters most? Because the kingdom of God is not about pew placements. It's not about hall refurbishments. It's not about bricks and mortar or immense renovations. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. So how do we find peace instead? Well, it takes self-sacrifice motivated by kingdom values which the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, works in us to change us and transform us. Let's pray.